How about I unpack and you detangle? Lazy dog. Okay, good. Uh, can you do me a favor? Give it a good look over. Hang on a second. Here. Give that just a minute. Anyway, did you get that proposal yet? Okay, good. Uh, can you do me a favor? Give it a good look over. Almost. Well, happy Sunday to you. Hopefully you are doing well. Uh, so we're continuing our series, The Reasons for the Season. In fact, there are several reasons Jesus gives on why he came. So we're going to be looking at one of those reasons today. You know, let me kick off with a story. Once upon a time in a small town, there was a local coffee shop known for its delicious coffee and dedicated clientele. The regulars were fiercely loyal to their coffee, and they would meet at the coffee shop every morning without fail. One day, the coffee shop decided to try something new and introduced a different brand of coffee. And the loyal customers were angry, and they refused to even try the new coffee, insisting that they would only drink the old, familiar brew that they had been enjoying for years. The coffee shop owner, eager to please his customers, decided to conduct a taste test. He prepared cups of both the old and new coffee and asked the regulars to give them a try. He assured them that their allegiance to the old coffee would not be compromised. As the customers sipped the new coffee, they scrunched their faces and in disgust and made exaggerating gagging sounds. It was clear that they were not willing to embrace the change. And one customer in particular stood out. He sipped the new coffee, dramatically clutched his chest and exclaimed, I pledge my allegiance to the old coffee. For as long as I live, I will be loyal to the last drop. The coffee shop owner, amused by their unwavering loyalty, couldn't help but chuckle. He assured them that the old coffee would always be available. It's interesting how people could be so fiercely loyal even to something as trivial as their daily cup of coffee. I was watching a documentary on Louise Figo a world-class soccer player who was the first major transfer in European soccer. What was so interesting as we saw it unfold, the fierce, unforgiving fans of Barcelona were brutal to Figo and his new team, Real Madrid, 
when they end up littering the field with debris and chanted death threats. And look, we find ourselves extremely loyal to sports teams, regardless of how good or how bad they have been. For some of us, we're very superstitious, so we're watching a game, and if they score, we don't move, right? We're, we're wearing the same thing over and over again. Uh, or maybe you've played sports, and it's a certain type of sport that you've been brought up competing in. Maybe it's a restaurant or a type of food, and no matter if you've had bad service one time at your favorite joint, you, you find yourself going back to that restaurant. How about brands? For some of us, we tend to be a little snobbish when it comes to brands. We have to wear a certain brand of clothing. We sometimes handle that loyalty a little too seriously. Maybe we say some regrettable things or we act like a kid losing our mind when our team loses a game. Like our, our week is wrecked because our team lost on Sunday. On a more serious note, we give our allegiance, our loyalty, our devotion to a wide range of things, both tangible and intangible. Here are some common things that we pledge our allegiance to, or we give our allegiance or loyalty or devotion to about religious beliefs. About family, right? We're prioritizing their well-being, and so we do things to support them. About country and patriotism, we support and defend our country, its values, and its institutions. Maybe a political ideology or a political party you found yourself uh, being devoted to or loyal to. Maybe your work or your career. Maybe a friendship. Or maybe a cause or a movement, right? A social, environmental or humanitarian cause, right? You've dedicated your time and your resources to advocate for that movement or that cause. And here's what allegiance is. Allegiance is a person's loyalty, commitment, or devotion to a particular cause, person, group, nation, ideology, or principle. And what it is, it's implying a sense of fidelity, faithfulness, and obligation to support to that which one has pledged allegiance. As we look at one of the reasons Jesus came to earth, here are a couple questions I want us to think through. The first is this. If someone looked at your life over a month, provided an assessment on what you were committed to, what would they say? And the second one, if your allegiance has been misplaced, what do you do? What do you do? So Jesus' birth was predicted hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up, including the earliest moment when God tells the adversary in the garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In so many words, Moses is writing that someone could do what Adam could not do, right? A true or a better Adam. And Paul writes that out in Romans 5. Moses also predicted a better prophet would come to deliver the people of Israel. So this better Adam and this better Moses would be the Messiah. And throughout Jewish history, God would remind them that the Messiah would come. The Messiah literally means anointed one. Basically, it was a king, a priest, and a prophet all wrapped up into one. When Israel begged for a king to be like the other countries, God warned them. And so this is what Samuel the prophet, God's spokesman, said to the people. This is what the king who will reign 
over you will claim as his rights. Now notice, every time he says he will take, speaking of the king, he will take your sons and make them serve his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow with the ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to make perfume, to be cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants, the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When the day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you've chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. A king had absolute power and there was no king in Israel that was perfect. The closest king following God like no other was David, who committed premeditated murder. This king, right, any king that reigned in Israel or Judah, when it was a divided kingdom, all of those kings showed that there was a need for a better and perfect king, the Messiah. As kings went, so did the nation. So if there was a godly king, the nation was blessed. If it was an evil king, the nation was not blessed. And this eventually led to Israel's civil war. So you had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. You had Israel and Judah. And eventually both fell. Israel would be controlled by foreign kings. Even after their country was overthrown, men were killed, women and children taken into foreign country against their will as slaves. Several of their leaders remembered God's promise that the Messiah would come. And even all that destruction, even all that chaos, and even all that captivity, people still held faith that God would deliver. And there were over 400 years that seemed to be silent. There were no prophets, there were no kings. And over those 400 years, Israel was occupied by a world power. When Jesus came into the world, the Roman Empire was ruling at the time. In fact, they ruled over the region of Judea, where many Jewish people lived. And the Roman Empire did several things to maintain control, collect taxes, and ensure stability. They installed client kings, so someone like Herod would oversee a locality. And then you would have a governor installed to oversee a region, like Pilate. And then there was taxation. They imposed heavy taxes on the Jewish population. Taxes were collected to support the Roman military and the Roman government. Um, they installed and established a military presence to suppress any uprising or any potential rebellion. They inst instituted their law and justice. So Roman law was administered. Now they did allow the Jews to have their religious court called the Sanhedrin. And they would be able to um, have authority over certain religious and civil matters. But for cases involving Roman law, Roman government held jurisdiction. And then they instituted culture and symbols, right? They were trying to assimilate people to the Roman culture. They would build temples. They would erect statues of Roman emperors. And what they were doing is they were trying to assimilate people to their culture. And in so many words, Rome expected allegiance. 
Rome believed that they could offer a better way of life. They could offer a better life. So as Jesus comes, only a handful of people understood his future. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, maybe John the Baptist's parents, maybe. But there's a very small number of people that understood his future. Many people knew Jesus as the illegitimate child of Mary, born out of marriage. Many people knew Jesus as a well-liked single Jewish man who worked for a living. That's who they knew Jesus to be. Have you viewed Jesus as a king? What might keep you from viewing him as a king? And so we're going to learn one of the reasons Jesus came is for our full allegiance in a world distracting us with empty promises of a better life. Notice what Jesus says about his coming. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now that seems like a contradiction of what was predicted about Jesus when the angels said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace to those whom his favor rest. And this also seems like a contradiction when Isaiah the prophet predicted that Jesus would be the prince of peace. But this is how we see this played out back then. If Israel's religious leaders had accepted Jesus as the son of God, he would have given them peace with God. But since the religious leaders rejected him and had the people reject him, the result was division. You had those who received Jesus and those who rejected Jesus. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom with him. See, the kingdom is here, but not yet. See, when Jesus came for the very first time, his whole purpose, purpose through his death and resurrection was to bring relational peace between us and God. And a byproduct of that was a relational peace between us and other people. See, we're waiting for him to return as king to provide physical peace to this world. And as we wait, this opens up the door for conflict. Notice what Jesus continues to say. For I have come to turn. Now, he quotes the prophet Micah, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Who, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And Jesus' message is one of good news. Is that we are made right with God. We're made we have peace with God when we believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. But there's also conflict. There's division between those who follow Jesus and those who reject Jesus. It means that a house, a family, a home can be divided. Jesus is like any other king who requires allegiance, but is unlike any other king that he was willing to sacrifice sacrifice himself for people. He is also like any other king because he is God. He is good. He is perfect. He is perfectly good. And this request would not have confused the people listening to him living in Rome. Living under the Roman Empire, they would have fully understood 
that kings demand allegiance. Caesar demanded allegiance. Now, the whole take up your cross invitation would have been received with some shock because it's an invitation of giving your life to follow Jesus. Jesus provides an invitation for people to make choices and prioritize their allegiance to him and his teachings, even if it means facing opposition within a family or within a community. Jesus is not promoting the physical use of a sword or violence, but he's making it clear that there is a divisive nature of his message and there's a transformation that happens in someone's mind, in their heart, in their soul when they experience Jesus' peace, his joy, his mercy, his grace. So you're not going to be the same person. There's going to be a change in you. And sometimes that change that happens in your life it causes some friction with those around you. And we see this played out today. Believing spouses living with unbelieving spouses. Kids, grandkids deciding to go into vocational ministry, rubbing grandparents and parents the wrong way. They're like trying to talk their kids out of it. You also have family traditions and family beliefs being rubbed up against. There's also cultural beliefs and expectations that are put on us by our culture. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's like, man, I can't go down that way. And there, that causes some friction. And during this Christmas, it's easy to give Jesus our attention momentarily while we sing Christmas songs, watch movies, and attend a Christmas service. It's clear as we head into this Christmas and read his words that Jesus doesn't just want your attention. He desires your allegiance. It reminds me of this story. Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish Franciscan friar and he demonstrated remarkable allegiance to his faith and to his fellow human beings in the face of extreme adversity. So during World War II, Colby was arrested by the Nazis and sent to the Auschwitz concentration camp in 1941. In that year, a prisoner managed to escape from the camp, promoting the camp authorities to select 10 prisoners at random to be placed in the underground starvation bunker as punishment and also a warning not to escape. Well, one of the men chosen was a Polish prisoner who cried out that he had a wife and children and pleaded for his life. Upon hearing this, Colby, who was not originally chosen, stepped forward and offered to take his place, stating that he had no family, he had no kids, and he was willing to die in his place. His selfless act of allegiance and willingness to sacrifice his own life for another was truly remarkable. Colby and nine other men were placed in that underground bunker where they endured hunger and dehydration. Despite the harsh conditions, Colby reportedly remained calm and even led the men in prayer and hymn singing. After several weeks, Colby was one of the last two prisoners remaining alive in the bunker. To expedite the process, the Nazis injected them with a lethal injection. Both Colby and the prisoner died. So imagine how your commitment to Jesus can inspire people to follow him as he makes you better 
He makes me better and he makes us better at life. Imagine if we can head into this Christmas understanding the reasons that may prevent people from viewing Jesus as king or the leader of their life. For some, they have a different belief system. They want to participate in Christmas without Jesus. There's autonomy, man. They enjoy the freedom to do or believe what they want on their terms. For others, it's the pull of culture. It's the American dream. It's pursuing success, owning a home, financial independence. They enjoy happiness through consumerism, right? They're always looking for the next best thing. Others want celebrity and fame. Did you know that 54% of Generation Z would be an influencer if the opportunity was there? Right? There's a pull to fame. For others, it's shame and guilt. Right? There's this past regret that is keeping them from opening up to God and others. And then one of the most popular ones is they had a negative experience with Christians. They had a negative experience with the church. Imagine, guys, imagine with me if we live committed to Jesus who fills us with his spirit, who produces in and through us love, joy, and peace. Imagine the impact that we can have this Christmas as we sit down with family who are different, who think different, and may believe different. And imagine if we approach those conversations with love, joy, and peace. Imagine where those conversations can go. Here's two things to think about. This Christmas, how do you see Jesus? Who is he to you? And then Jesus came for our allegiance. How will you remain committed to Jesus this Christmas? Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are incredibly thankful for an opportunity to, to hear what Jesus had to say. And Jesus was pretty clear that he came for our allegiance. He just doesn't want our attention. He wants our allegiance. I ask that you would allow us to get to a point where we will surrender to him as the leader of our life, him as king. And Father, I ask that you will forgive us for trying to hold on too tightly our life, hold on to leading our life or trying to make things happen without your help, without your leadership. I ask that you would allow us to go into this Christmas fully understanding that Jesus came as a king to provide peace between you and us. And then one day he's coming back to provide a physical peace on this earth. We love you. We're incredibly thankful for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.